Hello and welcome to The Stack. Today I'll take you on a whirlwind tour to Singapore, Germany and Portugal. I speak with Peng Chi Chang from Ming Time Magazine, Ferdinand Lutz from Cool Kids Comic Poly and Ricardo Galesio on his beautiful travel title, Wrong Journal. Enjoy the show. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. And our first stop is Lisbon. Wrong Journal is a new title on travel, about people and places, as the magazine describes itself. Founded by Ricardo Galesio, it's a beautiful debut edition that takes you to places like São Paulo and the Azores. Ricardo tells me more about the title. I worked as a magazine art director for 12 years. So I studied advertising, but then I started in editorial design and I worked with magazines, Portuguese magazines, American magazines. I worked in London also with magazines for 12 years. Then I stopped doing that, started a new career. I opened a coffee shop in Lisbon. Well, it was a coffee shop and a magazine store. So I didn't lose this connection in magazines, but in another perspective. And I was doing that for five years, the coffee shop, and then I'm back to the magazines now. But yeah, I worked in the magazines for like 12 years, I think. I like these given names to products and magazines and brands. So the first name was Wolfgang, but then realized that there's another magazine in Austria called Wolfgang. And he couldn't do that. So this was the wrong magazine because the first name was wrong and we, we couldn't use it. So I decided to give it this name wrong. And I think it's nice. It sounds nice to me, actually. So I think it sounds nice. And another thing, Ricardo, I have to say, one of my favorite type of magazines, it's travel magazines. Because, and the reason for that, it can be so many things. It can be done no. in, in, in so many ways. Travel means everything. So it depends on your perspective. For me, travel is almost everything. So if you talk about people or if you talk about places, even if, because this is not obvious, we have stories about people and it's not like a travel story, like obvious travel story, but you always travel when you, you listen to these people and their stories and their experience in different places. So I think it's the goal of the magazine. Well, and it takes you to places. I mean, the magazinery, I was telling you, you go to my hometown, Sao Paulo, uh, a beautiful shop, and then an amazing hotel at Côte d'Azur as well. So it's really, and then you go to Puglia. It takes you to many beautiful places as well. I wanted this magazine, the first issue, this first issue, to be very personal to me. So all the stories we have in this first issue connected to me in some way. So we talk about people that I know or places I've been to. So there's this personal connection with my story also, because it's the first issue and I wanted to do this in a very personal way. And Ricardo, of course, I know you're based in Portugal, but clearly this is a magazine speaking to an international audience as well. I mean, was that your intention from the beginning? Yeah, of course. I love to live in Lisbon in Portugal. is amazing, but we don't have a market for these kind of independent magazines. So I wanted to make it more international 
So the audience is bigger. It makes sense. And for a long time, I don't believe these, how do I say, these borders. So in this world, if you do something you are doing for globally, it doesn't make sense to produce something just for this specific market in this area where you live in. So for me, it would make sense to, to make the magazine for a bigger audience. So that's why it's in English and not in Portuguese. First, I thought to make a magazine with two different languages, Portuguese and English, but it's too difficult for me as an art director because if you do two languages, half of the magazine, it doesn't make sense for the audience. So I didn't want to make that. So I think English is pretty much uh, universal. I think it was a good decision. And, and Ricardo also... Another very nice touch was the soundtrack, the special soundtrack for when you read the magazine. I love those little touches. Tell us about how you come up with the idea and who is actually the soundtrack for issue one. Yeah. So the idea of creating a soundtrack for these, it's, if you think when you travel or if you, if you do a road trip, you always have a soundtrack. So I wanted to create a soundtrack specifically created for this and composed for this issue. And I have a very good friend, Andre, that created this and composed this soundtrack. He's a jazz musician. He lives in between Lisbon and New York. He created this, this soundtrack based on these stories. So we had the stories and then I sent them the stories of the magazine. He read the stories with the another musician, Jean Carreiro, and they created these nine soundtracks based on nine stories. So it's very personal also. So if you listen to the soundtrack, it's Andres' perspective on these stories. It's very romantic, I think. It's very nice to read when you read the stories. And if you put the, the soundtrack on, it's really inspiring. I think the ambience he created, it's very, some of the tracks are very, Hitchcock, it remembers like a Hitchcock movie if you read the story and if you are listening to this soundtrack. That sounds marvelous. And, and I was going to ask you, what's the plan for the magazine? Is it a biannual title? Because I know you also have a very beautiful website where I presume people can also buy the new issue, yeah. right? Yeah. So we are selling the magazines on our website and we have the international distributor. We are receiving feedback from different and amazing uh, magazine shops around the world, which is amazing to see the magazine next to amazing titles uh, in famous magazines. It's a biannual magazine, so our intention is to launch the second issue around April, May. It's our intention, but let's see. We are a really small magazine. So it's difficult for us to, because the budget, the budget is very tight. And we use a lot of contributors from different places. So for us, it's difficult to keep these two issues a year. It's a hard thing, but we are trying to do that. And yes, people can buy the magazine online or in magazine stores around the world. And Ricardo, of course, I need to ask you that. It's a travel magazine. Where are you traveling next, actually? I don't know. Unfortunately, well, I love travel. That's why I created a travel magazine. And some of the stories I made by myself during my trips, 
but I don't know. I, I, I don't know. With the pandemic, I had a lot of flights booked that I had to cancel. So I want to go to Iceland so badly. So I canceled two flights to Iceland due to the pandemic. So I think the next place I'm going is to Iceland. I really want to. Actually, you can see by this first issue, you have two stories in Iceland, one in Reykjavik and the other one in the different places, but I really want to go there. So I think it's Iceland, my next stop. That was Ricardo Galesio from Wrong Journal. Issue one is out now. To Germany now. I had the pleasure to speak with Ferdinand Lutz, editor and publisher of independent comic magazine for children called Pole. Based in Cologne, Pole is a delight and brings fresh ideas to the world of kids' comics. Ferdinand tells me more about the title. I came to Comics for Children completely by chance. It was 10 years ago and I was starting my master's degree in sociology when I became a call from the German newspaper or magazine called The Spiegel. It has a children's version and they wanted to have a comic every month for children. I took the chance to draw a comic for children and this is how I discovered this world of comics for children. I realized that there's a potential, actually there's a need for a magazine with different styles and different approaches because I myself grew up with Mickey Mouse magazine from Walt Disney. Every week, the same characters, the same art style, the same worldview, to be honest. I think it does something to you when you, when you have a variety of voices, styles, approaches, and nationalities in one magazine completely equally presented. That's how we started the Potter magazine. And that's what I was going to mention. I mean, looking at all the comics, they are fairly different from each other as well. It's not just kind of a uniform or kind of boring. It's, it's quite exciting. Which age of kids that are going to read this, by the way? Because I don't know, I would guess uh, even a little bit older, but not that old, but let's say 10 to 12 or something like that. Yeah, well, we are aiming at children who are starting to read. So actually we are aiming at children at eight or seven even. When I think back at my own childhood, I constantly read things that were not aiming at my age. And that's a feeling I, um, I take with me when I'm drawing comics myself and when I'm doing a magazine, that you should not underestimate children. children come to the world and they constantly have to make sense of things and they never understand nothing. They always understand something. And as long as it's a humanistic approach, it's visually interesting. And yeah, I think it's great for children. And also we have comic readings. Actually, I don't know if you know this. In Germany, we call it Hörspiel, which would be translated to like a radio play. It's a hobby I did with my school friends when I was a little child. And so we always have radio plays in Pole as well. So when you take your mobile phone and you scan a little QR code, you are able to listen to the story while you are reading to it. So this is another thing which makes it interesting for 
children who are starting to read because they can experience the story in an interesting way while they are looking at the pictures and deciphering the text. And before you were saying something that I agree hundred percent, it should never be condescending with kids, you know, and it's the same with film and music as well. Yes. And tell us how big is the comic market, especially for kids in Germany? Because I know in France is quite a big deal. Is it the same in Germany? It's no, it's not as big as in France or in Belgium, but it's starting to grow actually. And that's very exciting. To be honest, when I got the call from the Spiegel 10 years ago, I was looking around and I was seeing my favorite publisher of comics, of independent comics called Reproduct, putting out comics for children for the first time. And I only experienced them putting out serious punk underground graphic novels and suddenly they were putting out comics for children and I thought well we are in the middle of something which is starting to grow and actually with Paula my my friends and I we wanted to contribute to this new wave of children comics in Germany so we don't sell many books in Germany so the circulation of very successful comic goes around 5,000 copies, which is a joke when you talk to someone who is publishing in France, but it's starting to grow. It's nice to be somewhere where you, you know, you see right and left and you know there's potential, but we are not quite there yet. Actually in France, there's uh, La Surproduction, so they put out too much titles. And uh, books only stay in a comic shop for two or three weeks. And then they have to make a place for the new books who will arrive. We are slowly starting to get bigger. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. And you, you have your own uh, publishing company as well, right? Tell us a bit about that. I mean, I know, of course, you publish uh, Polly. I mean, do you have any upcoming projects or, or tell us a bit more? Yeah, well... I founded this publishing company out of necessity. I didn't, or we didn't want to, we, we are three editors with Pollen Magazine and we didn't want to make any compromises with the magazine. We didn't want to have any advertisement. So that's really tricky because we only finance ourselves by sale. And we didn't want to change the format. Uh, we wanted to keep it like this. So I had to found a publishing company. And yeah, next year, actually, there will be a, a museum catalog published from an exhibition from the actually German illustrator who is living in London called Axel Scheffler. I don't know if you know him. He's drawing the Graffalo. And yeah, he's having two exhibitions in Germany with his envelope drawings. When he's sending letters, he draws on the envelope. And so I will put out a catalog of, of drawings. So it won't be restricted to comics. It will be focused on graphic storytelling. And the song I always sing is that um, the word comic is unfortunate because it implies that it's necessarily funny. And it also implies that it's a fairly new medium, which is not. Telling stories with pictures is thousands of years old and by restricting it to a hundred of years you are keeping it very very small and Ferdinand of course you're saying okay, I mean it is a very old thing comic 
And the one good thing for me, at least, even if I am a known German speaking, I was, I'm just flicking through issue five. I mean, it's just fascinating. I'm, I'm looking here. I don't know what, what is that? Is it a flying elephant? Yes. This one? This. I just love, I mean, there's some kind of almost psychedelic touches to it as well. Yes. I, I don't know exactly what is going on in this story, but I, I really like it. Well, and I have to say that when I was learning French, I did so by uh, subscribing to a French or Belgium comic magazine called Spirou. So I would say that to everyone who's listening and who wants to learn the German language, it's actually quite nice to start with comics because you, on the one hand, you have the, the letters, the language, but on the other hand, you have very much information on the visual side and, and, and you learn how people speak. That's another advantage. You don't learn the, the written language, you learn how people talk to each other. So maybe a great way to start <laughs> learning German. That was Ferdinand Lutz from Polar Magazine. And finally on the show, we welcome back Pang Shi Chang from Ming Time Magazine, a yearly title documenting Singaporean stories lost to time. Each issue uncovers the past through personal stories. The theme of issue three is funny stories. Pang tells me more. Meantime is an independent magazine from Singapore that explores our past through personal stories. So we publish Meantime once a year and each issue is centered around a different theme that revisits interesting people, places or events from our history. We are now on our third issue. We publish it once a year. So our first issue was on love stories. Our second issue was on ghost stories. And our third one, which is a new one this year, is on funny stories. And I think the theme funny can be more than just humor or stories that make us laugh. I think funny can be things that are silly, odd, strange, and weird. It's really different from our second issue, right? Our second issue was really dark. It was ghost. The second issue was published in 2020 and we created the second issue before the pandemic. We created the second issue as we conceptualized the second issue in 2019 before the pandemic and the pandemic hit. So the ghost story sort of was like a reflection of the time, I guess, that it was really dark, it was really gloomy. And when we were conceptualizing our third issue, which was out this year, we were thinking about how we could sort of also reflect the time that we live in. And I think in 2020, the general mood was dark, it was very gloomy, and we really didn't want to feel that state of affairs again. Everywhere we looked, we saw news that were depressing. There was lots of confusion. There was chaos. There was mess because of the pandemic. And I think creating our third issue on funny stories was sort of our way to find an escape from all of these. And I think during this time when the world, we are trying to adjust to this new state of affairs, I think we need funny stories more than ever. We need stories to sort of make us laugh, to find a little joy, a little laughter in the little things. And it's not only funny, but it's also very colorful, tactile. So for example, in the magazine itself, first of all, the cover is chewed up, which is already kind of a funny, quirky element. And there's some lovely stickers like this one I'm holding with, with a butt. It's very, very funny. Some postcards inside. Was that also part of your thought as well? That, you know, because that, that's quite funny in a way as well, to have all those elements to play around and do everything you can with print, right? Those are all the possibilities of print in a way. 
Yeah, thanks for bringing it up. So yeah, the third issue, one really eye-catching design detail that we did was that the cover is chewed up. So we really took off a bite off the top right-hand corner of the magazine. One inspiration or why we did that is that we were really inspired by or we saw a lot of funny stories or animals that were happening around us. So there were, I don't know about in London, I guess it's everywhere in the world, but in Singapore, we have wild otters. So we have connected waterways uh, where we have wild otters that we could just spot while we were running by the river or we were running by the reservoir. And so we saw that there were lots of otters that were raiding malls. They were raiding um, office buildings. Then we saw that the roads were empty and that horses had escaped onto their empty road. Maybe in London, there were, I don't know, there were more wild foxes. I don't know. So we saw that there was just this strange phenomenon where as we were stuck at home, animals started to roam the streets. And we sort of got reminded of how in Singapore in the past, wild tigers used to roam the streets until 1930s. So yeah, we were very fascinated with this idea about animals and somehow animal stories are kind of funny and strange and silly. Yeah, and so we thought that, okay, what if we make the publication sort of seem like an animal has bitten it or it has been like an animal has chewed up. Yeah, so it was sort of this funny, interesting design and eye-catching design that we thought about. And I think this sort of runs through our first and second issue as well. First issue, the cover was torn. The second issue, the cover sort of reacts to our heat. I mean, I love a good animal story, so you sold me on that. Uh, and listen, Peng, uh, what about your readers? I mean, I know, of course, you're based in Singapore, but I presume you also have quite a lot of international interest. What's the division between the readers and, and buyers of Ming Time? I would say it's about 60-40. So 60% are Singapore readers, 40% are international readers. And I think that's quite indicative that actually there's a lot of international attention on Ming Time. I think that's very interesting also to us because when we first started it, we wanted Meantime to be all about local stories. So we talked about Singapore stories, stories about Singapore's past. And we thought that that was very local and something that perhaps if you do not live in Singapore, you do not grow up in Singapore, you might not be able to resonate with it. But when we launched our issue and went subsequent issues, we realized that there were a lot of attention from international readers because I guess people do not really know much about Singapore and the stories that we present in Singapore are personal or the stories that we present in the meantime are personal stories where it sort of reflects life in Singapore that you would have not heard. Something very different. A narrative that perhaps you might not have come across in mainstream media or in videos or in your interaction with this place, Singapore. There's really an interesting mix. And I know, of course, you publish an independent title there in Singapore. How is the publishing market in the country? I mean, is it is independent media thriving there? Or what you see in the newsstand is mainly kind of commercial titles. So I'm very curious about that. I would say that the independent magazine here is definitely thriving. There are a lot of self-publishing titles here. And a lot of these titles come from really like free-spirited, creative people who like want to have something to say about Singapore. And in terms of mainstream press, I guess an interesting anecdote, which I think I've shared with you, is that we only have two printed newspapers in the entire country. And these two printed newspapers are under the same company and it is state sanctioned. So what the information that we get 
usually comes filtered through, I guess, a tightly controlled lens. It is something that this is like the environment that we that we grew up in or how we access our information. I think because of this restriction or because of this limited environment, somehow it makes independent publishing and self-publishing a thriving place because people find that, hey, I need to have an outlet to say something because the mainstream press doesn't reflect my lived experience, for example. Yeah, so somehow this limitation is sort of like a blessing in that it sort of gives this like energy and this creativity in like the self-publishing, independent publishing scene. I mean, that's a lovely take actually, uh, Pang. And I have to say, again, I'm just flicking through the magazine. It's just, you can see there is a labor of love. For example, by opening this page, which is about Singapore's like one dollar coin, exactly. And it, yeah. and paper there's so many different types of paper you kind of you yep. put some kind of gold uh, paper exactly it's just fantastic yeah. every single page there is something that attracts your eye so it's definitely must be quite hard actually to make i wouldn't say hard i would say that okay it was hard because we had a lot of conversation and a lot of like struggle with the printer to sort of make our turn of vision into reality so i guess the hard part is that we have all these crazy ideas that we want to do on a page and we hope that the printer would be as game to like work with us on it that because it's not a simple project it's not a simple straightforward print project so i guess the hard part is to convince the printer to be on our side you know to really turn our vision to reality but really it's just like i said like we really have a lot of fun making third issue during a time that is really dark and gloomy and depressing and chaotic so yeah i guess the as you mentioned the colors the tactility really comes from this sort of like feeling this explosive creative energy that we wanted to really burst onto the page because of the pandemic. That was Pang Shi Chang from Meantime. Well, that's it for this week's show. My thanks to our editor, Jack Jewers. If you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fpandmonaco.com. And remember, we're back next Saturday at the same time. And of course, listen to the show on monaco.com, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Before we go, a little song for you. Here is King with In The Meantime. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. Me mm-hmm.